0: Hello, this is Dr. Daniel John Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Pacific Inland Northwest. Today is the 28th of January, 2020, and the lecture we're going to uh, discover today is one that's following suit with my long arc of autoimmune diseases. We've gone through, uh, I think, by counting five or six video lectures and at least that many audio lectures. So this would probably put us at number nine, I believe, uh, in the series of autoimmune uh, discussions. What I want to do today is I want to revisit a canonical autoimmune disease that's lupus. When I, I want to get into this, some detail about the cellular biochemical phenomena that are associated with lupus. And then I want to come up with a synopsis that will lead us into... Um, inorganic ionic, chem, uh, ionic bonds in chemical modification of surface-associated membrane lipids. So what we're going to ultimately end up with, this will be part two because we won't make it today, um, the interaction between proteins that become phosphorylated and or acetylated or methylated and how those proteins that are either acting at receptors, so therefore coming to the surface of a cell, or internally integrating into the membrane and interacting with membrane lipids that have a negative charge. So if you have a positive charge associated with a negative charge, you're going to have an ionic bond formed. That bond, once it's formed, will cause a reorganization of the proteins and the lipids within the membrane that's being activated. In that way, you don't need a specific receptor-mediated response. You have a chemical-mediated response that is nevertheless very specific, specific to the membrane lipid and specific to the protein that has uh, its associated charge. And this is uh, this titration of charge And also associated with pH, of course, is how membranes function normally. This is how membranes normally conduct communication, not only from outside to inside, but within the membrane and from the cytoplasm to the membrane. And so the membrane lipids, for example, can be turned over and can be resynthesized in order to make that membrane be that macromolecular structure that allows it to function for that particular cell type. And that cell mass then allows that tissue to organize according to a specific function. And then that tissue organizes into a specific, uh, if it happens to be an organ, like the skin or the lung or the central nervous system. So that that all is going to play a major role in autoimmune diseases because that's where all the communication occurs. So if you've been following along these lectures, you know that there is a whole host of immune cells that have to interact by contact association. Now, contact association has to do with recognizing surface-associated proteins and lipids and carbohydrates, and that interaction between cell-cell is what then induces an activation or a suppression of activation, and indeed, Terminal differentiation or dedifferentiation. that's number two, or indeed the third thing that can happen is some kind of intracellular alteration of bioenergetic metabolism that can lead to either autophagy, which of course will allow for the degradation of macromolecules and, and even endomembranous systems such as mitochondria and peroxisomes which are also ultimately related to the bioenergetics of that cell, or an outright programmed cell death signaling, such as the apotonic mode, which allows for cytochrome C oxidase to be released and mitochondria to degrade, and ultimately you get complete degradation of a cell uh, via the PCD mode. So there's a lot of different things that can go on in any different cell, in any different cellular mass, once you introduce the immune cell lineage, which is there, which shows up, programmed because there is a disturbance in the homeostasis. That disturbance is either uh, the errant production of proteins by a, different set, by a specific cell mass, for example, tumors. That, it, that enhancement of a specific class of proteins is recognized by circulating leukocytes. And when it is recognized, then those leukocytes can induce the production of chemokines, which allow for the trafficking of other cells to come to that site from the periphery. And indeed, also cytokines. And cytokines can then induce specific activation and interaction of those cells that show up, such as T lymphocytes. That's exactly what's going on. Once T lymphocytes infiltrated past the blood-brain barrier, After they've been resident memory cells, they can be reactivated. And in fact, there is a T follicular helper cell response, which we're going to get into in a moment here, which is going to lead then potentially to diseases like lupus, okay? So that's that's my introduction. So we're talking about a paper that was published in late 2019, (coughs) which gave a one-year review of systemic lupus uh, this paper was published by D. Zucchi et al., and it's in the journal Clinical and Experimental Rheumatology, 2019 paper. So let's go into this in some detail. The production of autoantibodies, which is the autoimmune response, in SLE patients, that's the systemic lupus patients, is interrelated to a dysregulated T follicular helper cell differentiation. So you have stem cell-like memory T cells, and indeed, for example, resident in the CNS, that can be the source of those differentiated T follicular helper cells, indeed in the SLE patients. It's not clear, however, what are the factors that trigger that TFH, a T follicular helper cell response. Although it seems to be a role for an cytokine interleukin-27 since in the murine model, the murine atherogenic environment induces the release of interleukin-27 from dendritic cells. So you have dendritic cells interacting with T lymphocytes. And that's through a toll-like receptor, TLR4-dependent manner. And that blockade of the pathway decreased the T follicular hypercell response. Okay? You get the idea of what's going on here. You have leukocytes like dendritic cells interacting through the toll-like receptor because of the production of interleukin-27, thus altering the T-follicular helper cell differentiation, okay? In the bioenergetic description, lupus, it's SLE, patient-prone inhibition of glycolysis reduces the expansion of those autoreactive T-follicular helper cells. See, now it's where bioenergetics plays a role, right? So it, it lupus-prone inhibition of glycolysis for the source of ATP reduces the expansion of autoreactive T-follicular helper cells. And based on crosstalk between B and T cell lineages, the absence of a protein called galactin 3 causes an excess of interferon gamma, and that raises aberrant germinal center formation and, indeed, the autoantibody production. Okay. So that's all linked together. All right. So a subset of B cells co-expressing two different chains, heavier light immunoglobulin, those are known as dual-antibody autoreactive BCRs, or B2R cells, Now, we've talked about these before. Those are implicated in lupus. T-cell-dependent signals and innate stimuli, such as interleukin-21, for example, type 1 and type 2 interferon, and indeed the Toll-like receptor 7 or 9, any of the agonists that visit those Toll-like receptors, 7 through 9, all those play a key role in the activation, expansion, and the effector function of these B2R cells. Remember, those are dual antibody, autoreactive B cells. And they're called dual antibody because they have two different chains, heavier light and no globulins. So they're gonna produce two different classes of antibody. All right. In addition to secreting antibodies, those lupus-specific B2R cells express much higher levels of the MHC class two. And additional surface receptors, important for what? For cognate engagement with T cells, right? That's how the T cells are interacting with the MHC class II surface protein that is often involved in handling and holding an antigen, right? Now, among those co-receptors, okay, the additional receptors besides the MHC class II, a deficiency in the interleukin-21 receptor, which I just told you plays a major role in this whole interaction, right? If there is a deficiency in an interleukin-21 receptor, and that is actually stimulated by interleukin-21, which is a T-cell-derived soluble factor implicated in the generation of the germinal center B cell, and that IG-class switched plasma cell, okay, reduces the frequency of the B2R cells, finally, indicating their enhanced dependency interleukin-21 for their maturation. Okay, so you get that? So if you have a deficiency in interleukin-21 receptor stimulated by interleukin-21 itself, that's going to be the cognate ligand, which is, of course, a T-cell-derived cytokine, which is involved in the generation of this germinal center B-cell population of these immunoglobulins, that reduces the frequency of those cells normally and what that means is you have an enhanced dependency of this in interleukin-21, okay? We know this because we, we looked at the deficiency of the receptor for the maturation of those B cells. These B cells are implicated in lupus. So what are the immunolo- immunological dimensions of uh, lupus and what's paramount in terms of understanding lymphocyte activation and the transduction cascade? Now there's another lupus-associated B cell that expresses a protein called CD11C. Uh, and it, that other associated B cell is called a TBET-positive B cell. Now the TBET is a transcription factor. They are antigen experienced cells, and they're expanded in a cohort of over 200 lupus patients where it's been studied. So this is, like, this is clinical studies. And the degree of expansion correlated with this disease severity, okay? So you get an expansion of these TBET B cells, which are uh, from the lineage of CD11C B cell populations in a lupus population. When you get an expansion of those in a cohort study of over 200 lupus patients, that, that increase in the expansion of those TBET positive B cells correlates to an increase in disease severity. So moreover, go back to interleukin-21 we just introduced. Interleukin-21 potently induces the TBAT-positive B cell population, therefore promoting their differentiation into secreting those antibodies, those immunoglobulins, thus becoming immunoglobulin-secreting autoreactive plasma cells. Right? Those are derived from this germinal center B cell lineage. So the growing importance of interleukin-21 as a pathological factor, pathogenetic factor, is implicated in lupus. And if that's provided for its role in the blockade, what interleukin-21 does, besides what I just told you about the germinal um, B cells, the plasma cell population is going to make these divalent antibody. Um, interleukin-21 also plays a role in the blockade of T regulatory cell autophagy, which is linked to its differentiation and function through the activation of the MTOR. Okay? So autophagy then, autophagy is going to cause the T regulatory cells to redistribute their activation, right? Not going to kill the T regulatory cells, but it's going to alter their normal biochemical phenotype because you're carrying out autophagy. Remember that's a degradation of intracellular components leading to a change in bioenergetics and overall homeostasis of that cellular group, therefore function, and whether or not it's activated, differentiated, or indeed whether that secretes, produces and secretes, cytokines, and maybe the cytokines that will allow t regulatory cells to suppress an autoimmune response. So in that study, four weeks of rampamycin, because it looks like mTOR is involved, reverted all those effects Inducing autophagy and then resulting in a restored Treg cell function. Okay, so when you have a blockade of autophagy, you decrease T regulatory cell activity. You need autophagy for the T regulatory cells to function. See, that's uh, that's what you have to understand. This reorganization intracellularly in the Treg cell population, which has to do with things like mitophagy and um, peroxisome elimination allows for you to reorganize this cell and therefore set up for different bioenergetics. What kind of bioenergetics? For example, switching from glycolysis to fatty acid oxidation. Yeah. So here's a paper from Autoimmunity published in uh, 2012, August. Um, volume 45, page 333 to 347, which I've read to help us understand this system. Within the B cell follicle of secondary lymphoid organs, germinal centers—that's what we're talking about here. Germinal center reactions produce a high-affinity antibody-secreting plasma cell, or PC, and it also produces memory B cells. Both of which are necessary for the host defense against any invading pathogen. That's a B cell follicular rearrangement within secondary lymphoid organs functions. Okay. So that process of that germinal center formation is reliant on the activation of what? Well, of course, antigen-specific B cells by T cells. Remember, T cells have to activate B cells. And those T cells have to be capable of recognizing epitopes of the same antigenic complex, obviously. So they have to be already within a legion of T cells that are no longer naive. The unique architecture of all of these secondary lymphoid organs that we're talking about here, such as tonsils, um, facilitate those initial germinal center events through the placement of large, clonally diverse B-cell follicles near an equally diverse T-cell zone. So you have to have Mm -hmm. B-cells associated with Mm T-cells. So you have antigen-activated B-cells that receive the proper differentiation signal at the T cell border of the B cell follicle, right? This is all within the germinal center. That initiates an early germinal center B cell transcriptional profile, right? And that's going to allow you for allow for recombination of the immunoglobulin chains, therefore triggering the response is going to become an autoantibody producing plasma cell, right? Of course. And this is going to allow for this B-cell transcriptional profile uh, to change and then allow the migration of those B-cells to follicular dendritic cell populations. There's a place within the germinal center called a follicular dendritic cell network, obviously. And that's all still within the B-cell follicle. And that then seeds or enhances that whole germinal center reaction. So... Peripheral to, right outside those liquid dendritic cell networks, the germinal cell, B cells, rapidly divide, okay, because they're being stimulated, and they undergo a somatic hypermutation. Remember, that has to do with the rearrangement of the immunoglobulin chains, hypermutation, somatic hypermutation. And, and that is, of course, of their immunoglobulin variable domains, right? Of course. So the newly formed germinal center B cell clones then migrate to the germinal center, what's called the light zone, because of microscopy, we call that the light zone, where they compete for antigen and secondary signals presented by those follicular dendritic cell networks. And then you get a specialized set or subset, I should say, of CD4 positive T cells. And those indeed are finally and frankly, the T follicular helper cell population. So this is how this whole thing gets started, right? Survival, then proliferation, and differentiation signals delivered by the mature now follicular dendritic cell network, and in association with the T follicular helper cells, helps initiate a transcriptional program that ultimately, because of this super, uh, somatic hypermutation, that determines if indeed the germinal center B cells become memory B cells. Or if they become terminally differentiated plasma cells. Okay, so you so that's what ultimately decides whether they make a memory B cell, which could then is going to carry on whatever that somatic hypermutation was delivered will tell those cells to produce in terms of antibody production, or whether or not you're going to just have terminally differentiated plasma cells. Or you're just going to be pumping out those antibodies, right? You got memory cells being made, and you got the terminally differentiated plasma cells. Yeah. Now, to prevent an oncogenic transformation, which can occur here, of course, like lymphoma or leukemia, particularly lymphoma here, and or an escape of any autoreactive clone, which is also very dangerous, there's several regulatory mechanisms that restrict that germinal cell B cell proliferation and indeed its survival. So, that's how you get autoimmune hyperinflammation. Okay. When that gets... Corrupted when that becomes dysregulated. All right. All right. Now, remember that these T follicular helper cells come from a CD4 positive naive T cell. And in the presence of interleukin 12 and interleukin 6, you have BCL6 and TBET now, those transcription factors, being expressed, making a T follicular helper cell. Now those also have expressing on their surface a particular chemokine receptor called CXCR3. All right? So once you get BCL6 and Tbet and the increasing amount of Tbet expression is going to alter those T follicular cells. Once you make those, you then produce interleukin 21 and interferon gamma, as we've just been saying, and that's going to convert a germinal center B cell. Into a BCL6 clone, and it's going to start producing this divalent immunoglobulins, okay? The IgG2a uh, class, which is going to then turn into convert to a plasma cell, producing higher levels of Tbet, higher levels of another transcription factor called blimp one and it's going to that plasma cell is now going to become a regimented divalent antibody-producing autoimmune cell response. That's how T follicular cells help respond to that, and that's how that CD4 cell lineage, that naive T cell lineage, is induced. Now, you also make Th1 cells in the CD4 positive T cells, which can also cause inflammation through the Th1 response. And through the CD8 T cell lineage, with co-expression and co-activity of the chemokine receptor R3, and again in the presence of endoleukin-12, you're going to make a Tbet population of cytotoxic T-cells, and all of that is associated with t activity in the context of each of those differentiated cell type uh, uh, lineages. So now, again, I want you to understand about these T-follicular helper cells. What are they? They are a specialized subset. And these are really important in lupus and in autoimmune disease in general. T-follicular helper cells, TFHs, are a specialized subset of CD4-positive T cells that were first identified in the human tonsil. So the tonsil is a secondary lymphoid organ. What do they do? They play a critical role in protective immunity because they help these cells produce an antibody against a foreign pathogen. So the T follicular helper cells are located in those secondary lymphoid organs. They're called SLOs or SLOs. And they include the tonsil. What else do they produce? What else is a secondary lymphoid organ? Excuse me. The spleen, and then and we all know the spleen is very important in this response, and in a lot of different lymph nodes scattered peripherally throughout the body. Okay? Now, besides all that going on, understand that you also have Th17 cells in the expression of uh, in, in the uh, after the expression of interleukin 12 and T regulatory cells after the production of interleukin 27, also doing their thing. Th17 cells in the pre- in the presence of higher increased concentrations. Of circulating interleukin-12 will allow the ROR gamma T transcription factor to then co-produce the T-BET transcription factor. And again, with the expression of the chemokine receptor on its surface, those TH17 cells, and uh, uh, secreting now interleukin-17 and more interfering gamma, you are going to have an enhanced TH1 inflammatory response. You've got TH17 cells making the inflammatory response. You've got the Th1 cells making the inflammatory response. You get the cytotoxic T cells making the inflammatory response, and you get the plasma cells producing tons of auto uh, antibodies. That's your hyper autoimmune response, full blown. Now, the only thing that could stop that are T regulatory cells. T regulatory cells, I just told you, get turned down because of the business that's going on with the dendritic cell population interacting with those B cells, right? which are ultimately gonna turn into those antibody-producing plasma cells. So if you have a reduction in the T regulatory activity, and that again had to do, remember, with altering glycolysis, glycolysis and diminishing autophagy via the mTOR pathway, remember the rapamycin story and the murine model, what you then could get, if you did have good active potent T regulatory cells, they would block that whole response. That's what normally happens, okay? That's what normally occurs, and that's why you don't get auto-inflammation, even within those secondary lymphoid organs, sometimes making the mistake and overreacting, making Th1, the cytotoxic T cells, the Th17 cell lineage, and indeed that whole T follicular helper cell population from the naive CD4 positive T cells, inducing the interleukin-21 interfering gamma, the germinal center B cell to start becoming that auto-antibody-producing plasma cell all right now paper published in experimental molecular medicine volume 51 article number 80 2019 brings in the whole discussion of another transcription factor this is called nuclear factor interleukin 3 infill 3 now i talked about this before it's got another name it's also called the elongation factor for binding protein or e4 bp4 Now, what that does, what Nfil3 does, is represses a number of genes. Now, that protein, because it interacts with DNA, is is your basic leucine zipper type of transcription factor. Okay, but it's going to be a suppressing transcription factor, right? And it comprises that particular zipper domain comprises a certain number of amino acids in a sequence between 73 and 146 among a total number of residues of that infill 3 protein of about 462 in humans. So the N-terminal part of that domain, I just described to you that, that leucine zipper domain, will directly bind to the DNA. That's how it becomes a transcription factor. While the C-terminal region of that protein is responsible for a dimerization, both homo- and heterodimerization, of the protein. And so that's how the protein actually functions at the DNA level. Now, re- why am I telling you this? Because because this is authentic biochemistry, right? This isn't um, basic baby cell biology. So I want you to get the full understanding. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to stop here for today. And we're going to continue with this very uh, enthralling discussion of how lupus involves all these different T cell populations and B cell populations, and then triggers the autoimmune response. This is Dr. Dan Guerra saying from Authentic Biochemistry on the 28th of January, 2020, bye for now.